listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 277. Good morning. You find us uh, just on the outskirts of the town of Tewkesbury, which is uh, 10 or 15 miles from, from Cheltenham in the heart of England, uh, on a lovely uh, sort of hazy sunny morning at Croft Farm Leisure Park, which is a campsite and a sporting area, uh, water park and so on. Uh, we're on a hillside at the moment, or a slight bank, uh, staring down at a uh, fairly large uh, lake uh, where a lot of water activities normally take place, such as uh, sailing and wind uh, surfing and uh, uh, canoeing and so on, but uh, today it is hosting the um, a, a triathlon, uh, and it's one of the first triathlons we've attended. And uh, this is called a sprint triathlon, which consists of uh, a 750 meter swim in open water, a 20 kilometer ride in uh, uh, on the road, and then a five kilometer run uh, afterwards, uh, and then you've finished. And now, uh, who would be mad and stupid enough to do something like that? Good morning, Rose. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seemed a good idea a few weeks ago, or a couple of months ago, or three months ago. Stood here now, I'm a little bit nervous, I have to say. We've been married for, what, 100 years or so now, and um, I've never known you to be competitive. You've always said that, no, 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 I'm not competitive, I just want to do it for the fun, all for fun. And here you are, entering one of the most uh, serious competitive events there can be. Yeah, but I'm not going to be competitive, I just want to get round, I just want to see if I can do it. Well, you've, um, you've been training, as you say, for the last uh, three or four months, um, and I think probably the most surprising thing, because I mean, you're fairly active anyway with your cycling and, and running, but the most surprising thing has actually been swimming in open water. Oh, what a change. I've always been a swimmer, and, you know, I swim a mile a week, no problem at all, but uh, switching to open water and swimming in that, it's like, oh, my goodness. It must be like, you know, changing from a treadmill to running outside. It's such a different animal. It's uh, getting used to all the weeds and the murkiness and trying to find your line of where you're supposed to be swimming. So, yeah, completely different thing. And uh, because of the water temperatures below a certain temperature, you've got to use a, um, a, swim, a not swimsuit, a wetsuit, a wet suit, but a special wetsuit that's specifically designed for triathlons. What, what are they like? Um, quite interesting, really, because initially I'd borrowed a daughter's boyfriend's surfing um, wetsuit from when he was a lad, um, but it didn't have a lot of manoeuvrability in the shoulders. So, um, fortunately, a friend who does triathlons uh, lent me one of her old suits, and, and that's a bit bit better but again it's so different swimming in a wetsuit apparently the, the ruling is if it's um if the water temperatures has to be 14 degrees to, to swim um no if it's over 14 degrees you can choose and if it's over 22 wetsuits aren't allowed so so there you are <laughs> so there you are but it's cold <laughs> generally it's cold well, each, I mean, we've, we've attended one event as, as uh, spectators um, and uh, seen 
uh, what to expect for obvious reasons. Um, the bit that concerns me here is that you've got the uh, the swim around various buoys in this in this uh, very large lake, and then you come out. You've got to scramble up a um, what will be a wet, slippery grass bank, cross a gravelled path which is um, a good twenty feet or so, and then climb another bank which is equally going to be slippery, which is covered in thistles. Oh no, that's, that that's fun, isn't it? <laughs> Barefoot, lovely. And in the process, you're stripping your um, your wetsuit off. Attempting to strip a wetsuit off. And uh, you're, you're the, you've got underneath. What have you got underneath? Um, excuse me. Um, shorts, just shorts and, a, and a, a bra top. And then when we get to transition, I'll put a T-shirt on. So transition is a sort of an enclosed area where once you set your equipment in there, you're not allowed to go back in, are you? No, as far as I know. But, uh, yeah, you sort of have to rack your bike and then put everything ready for for the transition from swim to bike and then when you come back from your bike ride you have to do a switch again to run and some people have you know separate running shoes and cycle cleats and so forth so they have all their sets of different equipment set out laid out really carefully and whereas me i've just got one pair of trainers i'm just gonna yes have a go wing it (laughs) wing it you can see the professionals over their lovely boxes which are color coordinated to go with their carbon fiber push bikes can't you yeah there's there is a couple of sort of um people are a little bit like me i'm hoping there are anyway that are just uh having a go well i uh, i'm very proud of you darling and uh, i wish you all the best uh, the race briefing it's what's 20 past eight now the race briefing's in about 20 minutes and then um nine o'clock you're off we're off i'm in the first wave <laughs> i'll be taking Very photographs and shouting from the sides yeah please just don't interview me straight after because i'm going to be exhausted <laughs> won't be able to say anything i'm sure well, um, I'm, uh, I'm very proud of you, as I say, so uh, I'm sure I will uh, keep people updated as the, as the race progresses, but I should be taking photographs and, uh, and watching the activities, what's going on, uh, and see if we can learn anything for next time. Do you think there'll be a next time? Oh, don't ask me now. Later, maybe. Podcasting World. World. Award-winning producers of podcasts to inform, inspire, entertain and encourage people to enjoy a healthy outdoors lifestyle. To the race starter and the race director and they'll take it from here. Those ducks are going to have a shock at their life. And that's it. Rose is off. Amongst that uh, 30 or 40, probably more than that actually, 50 or so little red hats and water suits and wetsuits in the water, all pounding their way towards the first boy. One of them is Rose. Bless her. For those of you uh, with white hats, you're up next. Once the group have rounded the, uh, the first boy, you are welcome to get in the water and start um, your uh, race warm up. But please, just in case. Um, just uh, wait until they round the first point. Online. On demand. And always available. You're listening to the Outdoors Station. Well, Rose is uh, now left, as you heard, uh, off on her 20k bike ride. Um, we had a, a drive around the route the other day. 
there's a bit of a crosswind, so uh, that's going to be a bit frustrating when you're tired. And she, uh, she looked like she was working well. She didn't look exhausted, so that's got to be a positive. Uh, and I reckon she'll be back in about 40 to 50 minutes. She thinks it'll be more like 60, but um, I think 40 to 50 minutes, which, uh, of course, gives me time to record a podcast and do what all support crew should do, which is put a cup of tea on and uh, sit and read the Sunday papers. Uh, now, on this show, we're, we've also got uh, a couple of interviews as well. Um, we have uh, an interview regarding the Galapagos Islands uh, as a destination and also looking at the negative effects of tourism. And also uh, our European correspondent, Roman, has once again uh, been talking to people at Friedrichshaven uh, and uh, there's an interview with, uh, with Terra Nova about some of their new products. But first, I thought I would mention... Uh, some of uh, of the very generous feedback we're still getting uh, about the TGO series and also the podcasts in general. So uh, let me just read out a few of those, if I may. Um, hi, Bob. Um, oh, it's from David Alban again. Hi, Bob. I've listened to all 13 TGOC09 podcasts and just wanted to let you know how much I'd enjoyed them. I even got caught a couple of times by Shirley and yourself. That's obviously for interviews. I think he's probably the most interviewed person during the, the uh, TGO series. Anyway, thanks, uh, Bob Rose, Andy, Kate and Shirley for all the hard work, which was definitely worthwhile. Um, one from uh, Malcolm Norman. Um, hi, guys. Just a very quick one. Congratulations on 274 podcasts and the recent TGO series. Thank you, Malcolm. Uh, then there's one here from Martin, uh, Bob, Andy and Shirley. What can I say that hasn't been said already? I've waited for each e episode so I can download it and listen to it while out walking the dog. I have spent a lot of t miles with you, yours and mine. The TGO Challenge reports over the years have always been inspirational and never fail to be so. I have the privilege of introducing expeditions to youngsters through the DOV scheme. Congratulations, Martin. A very worthwhile pastime, that. Uh, while the candidates are not the best at going lightweight, they soon understand, after the first practice hike, why lighter is better. And this is an ethos I keep banging on about. Anyway, I digress. I absolutely loved Shirley's frank and humorous description of her unplanned detour. It is so typical of what can happen when one stops concentrating on the map. And I have to confess, I've done it myself at some times, but don't tell anyone. Uh, and I'd like to play that to the uh, DV candidates, uh, if nothing else, to explain that the her dilemma is uh, is not uncommon and there's nothing to be embarrassed about. It was so well weaved with clips from Bob and Andy, um, it can be embarrassing when you burst out laughing. As you walk along with the dog, people start to stare. Uh, the only one thing is Bob glossed over his kit list. Uh, shame, I know what you mean about going uh, over the top and detailing it too much, but I dare say it was a little too sparse. So I'd like to know more about what you took. Uh, well, Martin, thanks very much for that. I think um, what we'll do is perhaps do a separate um, do a separate podcast on that, and uh, perhaps I'll get Andy involved and might even get Shirley involved as well. Uh, and that would be quite interesting to get the the different voices explaining what they took. Uh, Liam Hode. Um, hi, Bob and Rose. Really envious after listening to the TGOC podcasts as I could do it this year my first one was last year uh, you must get asked all the time but I wonder why you don't include a gallery page on your site as I'd love to see more photos uh, that's simple Liam I'd love to do it uh, it's just time um, I always think yes I'll do it or turn it into a video or something but um Sadly, time as, as once again was against us. Um, and a quick one here from Warren and uh, Esther Sanders. Um, just to show you that I think you have a big untapped market in the cycling world with wood burning stoves. Um, the one pipe Kelly Kettle and the bush cooker work very, very well. Most of our equipment comes from your uh, uh, store, except for the big Agnes tent, which we love. Um, 
A well-placed article in Cycle Touring magazine would point bike tourers at lightweight equipment and its possibilities and all the positive things from that. Thanks again for fantastic service and entertaining podcasts. Thank you. Um, and finally, in fact, I don't have the person's name, but I do have a blog name. It's a new blog spot. So let me just give the guys um, a blog name. It's um, HTTP oldwinterramble.blogspot.com um, Back yesterday from Scotland again, did a five-day backpacking trip around Noidot to La Kailot, um, using my tent and a body. Listen to the whole series of this year's TGO trip whilst <laughs> whiling away the evenings in my tent in some great scenery. Really enjoyed them and they fitted in perfectly to where I was. I had some good weather in the main, saw some great big shower clouds passing over my wild camp to the north of Noidart, and some of them hit me. Spectacular stuff. Just posted some pictures on Outdoors Magic if you want to see them. Oh, he's got his name. Keep up the good work, Alan Bellis. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's Alan Bellis. And the Blogspot uh, chap said, uh, be more than happy to support your podcasts. I've been listening for a good few months now. Uh, it started well and keeps getting better. I'm sure you get congratulated a lot for it, but let me add my thanks to the pile. And that's that mysterious Blogspot address. Well, thank you, everybody, for, for your comments. Uh, greatly appreciated and greatly received. Uh, and the least I can do is give you a mention and say thanks. Um, but we're doing our best to try and fit it all in as we say every time we do this anyway let's get across to roman now roman um is as most people will know is a is a passionate lightweight backpacker uh, he's very very thorough with his facts and figures and he does like to uh, glean as much as possible from people when he interviews them at friedrichshaven uh, this time he spoke to andy utting um, from Terra Nova regarding the two new super lightweight tents coming from them, the Solar Elite and the Solar Competition. So, of course, the first thing he asked was what was the story behind them and why were they designed? Uh, we developed them really for the US market because they're far more familiar with freestanding tents than uh, tunnel design tents. Um, they like they quite often pitch tents without the fly sheet, uh, for example, uh, so it's important that uh, it can stand up um, more or less without pegs. Um, so that was the initial brief, uh, but uh, they are very exciting models and have uh, had a lot of interest in Europe also. Uh, we've developed the two models, Solar Elite and Solar Competition. Uh, the main differences is that uh, the Solar Elite tent is pushing weight uh, at all costs. Yeah. So the uh, pole is slightly lighter, it's slightly less uh, rigid than, than the, with the Solar Competition. Uh, and the, the, the fabrics that are being used are the same as our um, world record-breaking lightest tent, the Laser Photon. Yeah. So it's meant for people who really look after their kits, really know their kits, know what they can do with it, etc., etc. Uh, people who, who, who perhaps participate in mountain marathons, etc. And then for more general use, the solar competition um, is, is um, um, the tent for them, uh, very slightly heavier. So, for example, with the Solar Elite, we're looking at a minimum weight of 825 grams. And then the uh, solar competition uh, is nine seven eight grams, so around one hundred and fifty grams difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if I understood you right, the uh, the tent material itself uh, is uh, the same as you which you use for the solar competition, for the laser competition, yes. and for the solar elite, like for the laser elite. That's right. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, if you could point out to me. Uh, 
you know, what, what is the difference between the laser series and the solar series, besides the fact that obviously the solar series is freestanding, but what, what kind of uh, users do you have in mind when you, when you look at those two lines? Uh, I think if, uh, for the laser series, you're looking for people who, who are looking for minimalist weight and minimal packing size, yeah. And for the Solar Elite, they're very, very close to that, but people who really do want a freestanding tent, yeah. That's the difference mm -hmm. in my mind, yeah. Okay. You get more or less the same amount of room, yeah, but uh, mm -hmm. that's all. Okay. So uh, a few uh, photos have already been released in the Internet about the, the Solar Elite, at least. Okay. Um, a few questions came up after after the release of the photos about the venting of the two tents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, can you describe how the venting works uh, and how effective that will be? Mm -hmm. uh, well, vent, uh, the uh, fly sheet sits off the floor, so there's plenty of ventilation coming from underneath the floor of the fly sheet. Um, uh, the door also has um, um, an opening capability yeah, at the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with a double zip, so you mm -hmm. can ventilate at the top of the door um, to get airflow across the top, and then the ventilation comes from uh, underneath the tent. Yeah. Okay. In um, in terms of the porch size for for the solar uh, competition and for the solar elite, mm -hmm. uh, um, would you be able to to store some equipment compared uh, also with uh, the laser, the same amount of equipment in the porch? Um, there's probably a little less space in the porch than, than the laser competition because they, the laser tents tend to have uh, some space around the ends, which um, is a little bit more closed off on the solars. Um, but there is uh, space uh, to, to the right-hand side as you mm -hmm. look out of the tent uh, to place your rucksack, yeah, and still some space um, <clears throat> along the other side of the tent to, say, put your boots or, or something like that. Yeah. All right. Um, so, final question, when will both tents be available to the public? Uh, they should be available. We should be dispatching them from our warehouse in February next year. Yeah. Okay. Thank okay. you very much, Andy. Thank and you. A lot of success for the new two tents. Thank you very much. Cheers. The beeping, you can hear them going through the uh, automatic uh, time counters. They're all wearing uh, uh, ankle straps with a little sensor on them. Uh, and as they pass through these beams, it picks them up. Uh, Rose has now finished the cycle uh, in a very respectable time, around the 50-minute mark. I think it was practically slightly less. And uh, she's uh, now out on the first lap of the lake, and it's three laps of the lake. Uh, and uh, I'm at the top of the the hill. Well, it's a slight rise, really, but I'm, I'm sure it feels like a hill after doing what they've done so far. But they're all doing fantastically well. And uh, as usual, it's uh, amazing to see the age range in something like this. Quite a few people uh, of all ages and uh, with plenty of support as well, which is really good. What well Rose! The home of UK-based audio and video podcasts for lovers of the great outdoors everywhere. It's all about getting out and having much more fun.
And so let's move on to our next interview. Um, for many who enjoy the natural world, a trip to the Galapagos Islands is still a lifetime ambition. But with so much publicity about the negative effects of tourism on the islands, can we still seriously consider a trip there? Andy Howell asked Richard Furlong, is the Galapagos still a viable and responsible destination option? It certainly is. It's, as you say, on many people's wish lists of places to go. And it's quite unlike any other place in the world. But most importantly, the Ecuadorian government who control access to Galapagos are doing a great job. So they are controlling numbers. One has to go along and have a, an official entry permit to go in. You have to go along with a Galapagos National Park guide. You can't go to the islands on your own. So it's well controlled, and yet it's the most fantastic destination, and tourists aren't ruining it. If anything, they are contributing towards looking after the place for future generations. Now, it says on the board that you'll be travelling with the most inspired expedition team that are working in the Galapagos at the moment, and that's presumably a, a big part of the sale of the of the service you're offering. Absolutely. When I first went out to Galapagos, I looked at over 20 different ships from small to medium to large to see what sort of experience they were providing to guests. And uh, I ended up choosing a ship that is of the medium category, and it has four Galapagos National Park guides on board, and they are indeed the most inspiring team. They're experts in their field, perhaps with different uh, expert natures. One might be interested in birds, one might be interested in marine wildlife, one might be interested in history and you get to go ashore in small parties just 10 people with a guide and you really get a, a light educational experience and it's the most wonderful thing and you learn a lot about the place and you come back with a very strong feeling to look after the place and tell everyone about it. And one of the things that's very noticeable about small independence here of course is they're run by people who have actually been at the destinations themselves and have done that research on the ground like you and not all of the bigger companies have. That's right. Uh, my wife and I have been in business for 27 years and we said from the outset that whatever destinations we offer, we will always go and research at first hand and see the places, check for instance the ships and the hotels and the guides, so we've got first hand experience of then being able to come back and answer questions. And it's interesting at a, an exhibition like this that one of the things that folk come back to our stand to say is that we're the only people that can actually answer every question that they have. That's good. Now, you, you're hardly likely, I guess, to just go and do a trip to the Galapagos on its own. So um, you, you do that as part of a wider package, I guess. And, and now, so what kind of options have you there in terms of, you know, the kind of more adventure-minded traveller? Indeed, there's many options. A lot of companies offer Peru and Galapagos, and it's one of those things that you see and you think, oh, that would be great, let's do Machu Picchu and the walk and so forth, and then go to Galapagos. We actually think that Ecuador as a country is sadly overlooked and it's the most beautiful country and lovely friendly people and plenty to do. Great contrast, it has coast, it has volcanoes, it has Amazon. There's a, a huge choice of things that you can combine. But of course, being at Galapagos, you're pretty much in contact with a lot of Central and South America, so you can, the world's your oyster, you can add on all sorts of options. And you also do... Um the Falklands, South Georgia and Antarctica, that, that's kind of fascinating. It is fascinating for altogether different reasons. Uh, Dawn and I often say that Antarctica, like Galapagos, is a trip like no other. It uh, almost, almost changes you because the, in Antarctica the scale of, of the uh, continent, the mountains, the whiteness, the wildlife, 
it's just like un unlike any other place in the world and Galapagos is certainly the same for different reasons and, and how much of an, um, an Antarctic experience do we get when we're doing one of these tours again there's choices so you can go down to on a ship to Antarctica and you don't get off and that would be sad because basically you want to go... Uh, yeah, with I, think, I think that would be very sad. <laughs> it would be very sad, but it happens, that's the shame. Well, it's, it's a bit the thing like, about cruising, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's, a, it's like Galapagos. You can go to Galapagos and some ship itineraries will be very limited, only go to a few islands, and really you need to go to lots of islands because the wildlife differs in Galapagos. Antarctica's the same. You need to go with a quality operation that have experts on board that can bring the place to life. You need to do the landings and get ashore and see the wonderful penguin colonies and the elephant seals and everything else it's uh, it's a choice thing and again it's it's protected in terms of environments and ecotourism yeah antarctica is actually protected by a voluntary um, association rather than galapagos which is actually government protected by the ecuador but the operators that go to antarctica if they belong to the voluntary tour operators association then for instance landings and itineraries are sorted so that two or three ships aren't turning up at the same place at the same time and there's a, uh, a way of visiting that doesn't damage the environment and so forth. So there's a, a fairly commonsensical code that you follow but uh, we don't want to ruin anything for the future of course. Well done. Well done. Where's the Come on, over here. Well, congratulations, Rosie. Well done. You've completed it. How are you feeling now? Relieved. I've <laughs> done it. Hooray! Yeah. Um, quite pleased, actually. It seemed to go all right. I, I was sort of at the back to, to start with in the swim and then quickly realised that actually I needed to be further forward because I was just being slowed up. So I sort of went wide and managed to to do okay quite a lot of weed in the pond which got stuck on my nose clip so in fact the guy who pulled me out said oh you've got a bit of extras here um but the swim went really well because i did a swim yesterday which wasn't so good so it's really pleased with the swim yeah. and then uh transition onto the bike a big bank up and then sort of um, the bike transition wasn't too bad, although I did notice the people either side of me were out quicker than me. You did seem to be taking the time, but yeah. I was a bit concerned if you'd lost something. Or No, I found my bike all right, but I had one of those stingers, those honey gel fake oh, yeah. sachets, so I had one of those and a good drink, and then had to get my shirt on, and so shoes on, and then out. And I, on the on the road, it's, I was quite pleased as well. I had a, only about two girls overtake me, yeah. and I overtook a few. Uh, it was sort of the second village and we started to get the guys overtaking yeah, us you think, yeah. oh, well, look at that. Disheartened. Um, but pretty much, I think I, I did not too badly. And then getting off the bike, um, I was fairly quick because I didn't have runners to change into. I just kept my same shoes, so that was yeah. fairly quick. But um, out on the road, that first lap's just hell. Yeah. I hate that run. What, it, what, was, what was the um, you know the body going through when you changed to the transitions? Was it as it's bad just, as people described? Well, it's just you use completely different muscles, and you, your bum's all tight from being on the cycle, and then suddenly you've got to move it <laughs> to run, and everything's all locked up, and your knees feel all locked up, and your calf muscles are crying out. Um, and you're just sort of going around, and there's a couple of the marshals have said, I'll be really happy the third time I see you, and gave a big wide wave and smile. But this bank, this last banker, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, so, and I noticed you st stood every place where there was a bank for me to struggle at to take a photo, which wasn't very kind. It was the, it was a, it was the backdrop, think of the backdrop. 
Yeah, um, yeah. I, well, I lost you at one stage. Your name got mentioned over the PA. I thought you'd finished. I thought, my God, that was quick. <laughs> I think I was on the second lap. Ah, no, no, I hadn't finished. I'm interested to see what the times are anyway. Yeah, well, I think very respectable. So a big congratulations, darling, and... Um, Good question, I suppose, is, is are we going to be doing this again? Oh, I don't know. I, I did think, actually, I couldn't do the Olympic one without a lot more time. I'd have to be retired. I'll have to be an ultra-veteran by then. It's not like the TGO challenges that you just keep coming back. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think you just need quite a lot of time to train, and I'm interested in too many other things, so I don't know. Well, well done. Huge congratulations, great respect, and um, what a nice bunch of fit-looking people we've got around here. Certainly are. Curious to see uh, what Rose's time was at the end, and also how everybody else uh, fared. Uh, we stayed to the to the presentation and the uh, release of the timings, uh, and uh, we've just been sitting down with a hundred or so people, um, enjoying the last of the uh, last of the event as clearing it was taking place, uh, and the names were um, were announced, um, and the winner of Rose's category was Rose at 11 minutes faster than these people have been doing it for years. Congratulations. I know, I was a bit amazed. You laughing out loud and everyone <laughs> turning around to look at you was, didn't help. <laughs> so it was a bit surprising because when I first looked at the categories, everybody else in my category was from a triathlon club. So I was thinking, oh, well, I'll just get round. But to have won it, it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> So, uh, Congratulations. I mean, I'm just, I wasn't laughing at you. I was just <laughs> gobsmacked. <laughs> the people did turn around. But, I mean, the most impressive part was that the, the next category below, which is the going years of um, age, 10 years age groups, each category, you were actually only two minutes slower than the person that won that category. Yeah, I probably could have. Because I did procrastinate a bit in the transition, so I perhaps could have speeded those up a bit. Ah, well, uh, congratulations, Rosie. I am just so proud of you. Oh, That's fantastic. Thank you. And it's quite funny as well. <laughs> yes, it is really. There you go. suggestions why not drop us a line either on facebook or directly to our email address info at the outdoorstation.co.uk the home of uk-based audio and video podcasts for outdoors people everywhere Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear more from our extensive free library, please visit the website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. You can now follow The Outdoor Station on Facebook, where we chat about each program we produce, answer questions, and discuss future productions. Why not join us there? This podcast is produced and hosted by theoutdoorstation.co.uk. 